Welcome to the Edge of Greatness Podcast. The path to greatness is never linear and requires patience and consistency. Join us on our journey as we peel back the layers of success searching for that elusive core. Each week we will explore a different component of greatness, utilizing experts who have traveled some part of the path that we are all on. We aim to uncover insights into the areas of leadership, coaching, performance, overcoming failure, the power of habits, and so much more. We are all on the edge of greatness. Welcome back to another episode of the Edge of Greatness podcast. I'm your host, Charles Schultz, and today I have with me a very special guest, the head coach of Wittenberg Baseball, Coach Brian McGee. Thank you so much for taking time with me today and joining me on the podcast. Appreciate it. Charles, it's great to be on, and thank you for everything that you're doing. I think the awareness that you're bringing, not only to baseball and our sport, but to all sports, coaches, and players uh, wide. Oh, yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. So obviously we're getting close to you getting to be back on campus and the boys coming back into uh, doing some fall ball stuff. What does day one look like for you with your boys? Hey, man, welcome them back with hugs and smiles and get them feeling good about being back in their environment and uh, just building the excitement level for what lies ahead. But uh, outside of that, right around the corner, we'll obviously do a team meeting first and then we generally let them get kind of accustomed to classes first, get their syllabus and uh, class courses and schedules and meet their professors and kind of get that tied down the first three or four days. And then then we'll start opening the gates and letting them out on the field. Yeah, I love the response there because you said, give them hugs and welcome them back. And, and from the moment I met you, I felt like you were the guy who was trying to build a family environment there. And with that in mind, was it hard for you like last year? Cause with not being able to t- like the same contact level and missing the, the guys around all the time, how did you maintain the family feel from a distance? I mean, I feel like that would be a challenge. Yeah. You know, I think what we did prior to the pandemic hitting is what, what made it easy for us. Uh, we had already established uh, real love and respect uh, for one another. And I think that that helped carry over in, you know, anyone who's been an athlete and then has become a coach, it's it's a totally different side of the fence. Like, my guys love me. I know my, that my guys like me. They respect me. We have fun together. But I'm not their boys. Their boys are their boys. And I'll never be closer to those guys than they are with one another. And I love that about what I do. And I respect that and get that. And uh, understanding, it, I think, helps me be better at letting them uh, connect on that level, too. Um, but you know, ultimately I I think those guys are the ones that are responsible during the pandemic that, that kept themselves tight. And I think just as us as coaches, we'd like to, you know, step back and kind of pat ourselves on the back and say, Hey, we helped them create the environment, but uh, ultimately it was them as people that makes the choices that they make. Yeah. I mean, obviously your, your guys did a good job. You're at a point now if you've been there long enough that the guys are, that are coming through the program are all your guys that you brought in. And I think that speaks to how they were able to hold themselves together during that difficult time. Cause this was uh this last year was the best year that you guys have had since, since you've been there. Correct. Yeah, that's right. Uh, best year in 20 plus years, uh, yeah. you know, winning percentage wise. And uh, we're really proud of the direction that we're going in. Yeah. So you guys were one game away from what I was looking at uh, t- from taking the, the division in, in your conference this year, 
what do you have in store kind of going into this year to kind of build off that momentum and then to maybe get over that hump just a little bit? Cause you lost a lot of guys from what I saw. It looks like you lost 13 seniors. You had a nice strong core group there. So where do we go from here? How does that look for you? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that's the exciting part though. Uh, we believe in the, the players we brought into the program, but it is a different look. Uh, we'll have lost, you know, five to seven guys, out of the everyday lineup that, you know, was part of my first recruiting class and had been on the field since they were freshman year. So the team has a different look, but I'm excited about that because I think we could be even more talented and, and perform even better than, than the teams in the past. And, um, you know, that has a lot to do with the, the teams in front of us having, having laid the foundation for this, but um, we had some really good players in the program last year, which made it tough for our young players to play. But, you know, given another year, a lot of those guys probably would have played. So I know they're anxious to get on the field and I'm, and I'm anxious to see them. I love the the honesty and I'm not sure where we're going to go. We'll have to wait and see, because I think a lot of people go into coaching with this plan of I'm going to come in and these are the things we're going to do instead yeah. of being receptive to this is the team I have. So these are the things I have to do. So speaking to that, if someone were to look at your, your team from the outside, what's one word you'd want them to, to describe your team as? What's a word that stands out to you that would make you be like, man, that, that's what I want. That's what my team is. That's what we are. A loaded question because there's so many things that I want my team to be. But, you know, if I had to pick one, love. Love is such an important word in the world. It gets lost a lot. Uh, my team and I talk about love a lot. I share my emotion with my guys a lot. They've seen me cry. They've, they've seen me as angry as the devil. You know, uh, I wear my emotion on my sleeve. That can be good or bad. And some guys, you know, res respond to playing for someone like that and, and, and others don't. But, um, you know, ultimately, you know, I think how much a team cares about one another. You've probably heard this before, but, you know, at this level, like everybody's talented, you know, the, the, the coaches that are working hard are bringing in talent and those programs have talent. So where does the separator lie? I think a lot of it stems from that word right there. Uh, and I, and I think that's an absolutely perfect word because I think in today's society, we are lacking love across the board and the stronger our teams can become in understanding and appreciating love and carrying that out into their life after sport, the more that our culture and our communities are going to change over time. And, and I think that's a valuable thing to teach them and to have them be okay with expressing, especially as men, you know, I think a lot of times we're told not to, not to show that emotion, not to show that heart and that love. And, mm -hmm. and I think there's, there's value in being okay with that and being in touch with that. And, um, Obviously you met Ray Noe and that's a guy that I coached yeah. with and he was, he's very much like you in that sense where he'd cry in front of the boys, he'd show them his love. He'd be mm -hmm. angry as all get out. How do you balance that? If you have an emotional slip, what do you do to, to kind of come back on that? Because obviously in a game like baseball, you're going to have swings, you're going to have ups and downs. The emotion is there for you. And it's one of those things that you own. So how do you balance it when you have like a moment where maybe it becomes too much and then you have to come back and kind of, you know, my guys, my guys are everything. The, the pulse of my team pulls me back to where I need to be. I really try to do everything for them. And, and then the, the reasons for how I act or what I say is always and what I think is what they need at the time. Um, I'm not a perfect coach. I'm not a perfect person. So I'm a lot wrong a lot of times too. And when I see, um, their reactions um, 
and the results that I get from the things that I do, we ad- adapt and we adjust and we try to make it better for them. I think a big part of growth is owning the fact that we're going to make mistakes along the way. And in a game like baseball and a game like life, failure and adversity is going to be part of it. And it sounds like you lean into that to help teach them, you know, to grow from that. Are there other things that you do outside of the game when it comes to connecting with them and working through some of those issues? Is that something that you guys work on there? Uh, in terms of what, I'm sorry, issues. So like classroom them. settings, do you do things that are okay. non-baseball related to, to help okay. grow that culture and those types of things? Yeah, I'd like to say more than what we do is baseball. You know, the baseball is just a small part of it. Everything that goes into it, you know, the meetings and the structure and the, you know, again, the guys being in the dorms together, having to be responsible to go to study halls and go to their meetings and, you know, whatever that might be related to baseball or organizations or clubs that they're in and so on and so forth. Yes. So talk to me a little bit about the difference for obviously at at the D3 level, it's not just about the baseball. There's a different kind of attention that you have to give to the student athlete. And I want to know kind of more about how you balance that life of pushing them to be excellent on the field, but then understanding that the sport and the growth that they're getting isn't just about going out and playing baseball all the time. Cause obviously a lot of people see the, the D one stuff and, and all these different things, but there's really high level baseball that's taking place at the lower levels that are D two D three Juco. And it's a balancing act for, I think those coaches more so than the D one coaches. And I want to know what you do to kind of help keep them going and working hard with some of the restrictions you have to deal with as far as the mm-hmm. time you're allotted. Yeah. I mean, uh, them owning up to the fact that a lot of this is going to be based on their commitment level and their self-discipline, the, the uh, restrictions that division three puts on the coaches, you know, we're limited, especially in the first semester, the second semester looks pretty much similar than, than the other divisions, you know, outside of the amount of games, but in terms of the amount of time that we're together, the amount of days and hours and stuff like that, that's pretty similar outside of travel time, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, our, our guys have to be self-disciplined and that starts from the recruitment process of being very blanket and transparent with what we, what the expectations are of the program and being the right fit for that and the type of culture, again, that, that we have in the program. So I, I think for those guys, um, you know, what gets them going is the rest of the team and just the way that the program runs and the expectation level of performing, you know, but we also have a nice balance, as you said, because of the restrictions, they get to do a lot of this stuff on their own time. So they have the opportunity to have the self-discipline to keep themselves going, but balance that along with their classes and their study and their social life even. Mm -hmm. And we, we, educate them on the importance of being able to separate those two things and balance and making sure you're getting a steady amount of both of those that we encourage them to, you know, get out and be social and engaged within the campus community and the Springfield community uh, and with one another and that it can't just be all baseball all the time. So just kind of expressing to them that, Hey, look, we want you to work, but at the same time, like, we want you guys to have fun because again, it goes back to the love thing and um, they need to connect on other levels just than baseball too. Yeah. You mentioned in there, making sure that it's a right fit. What does a right fit look like for Wittenberg? 
I think everybody's different. So it's not a personality trait or anything. I mean, obviously we, we want, you know, good kids from good families that have a good head on their shoulders and they same the share the same uh, morals and qualities, but personalities um, we want our guys to be themselves and uh, everyone needs to accept them one another for who they are. And that's part of life too. Right. And, Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a lot of personalities on our team, but uh, they all have a passion, a deep, deep passion for um, not only baseball, but for, you know, quite frankly, wanting to play for me in this program and our assistant coaches in this university and this, this W that we get to wear on our chest every day. Mm-hmm. So the recruitment process for us is, is way more than just about the athletic ability. It certainly starts with that. And that's where, we develop our list for them or based on athletic ability, but then we dive deeper into that. And we're looking for the guys that, you know, you don't have to twist their arm to convince them that this is a good place that you can sense a little bit of pride and that's where they want to be too. Yeah. I think there's a lot of value in, in that message right there, because I think a lot of times people, especially young people are looking for this name mm-hmm. and this name is what they're going to sign to. And it's not the right fit and mm-hmm. they don't take the time necessary to discover who the coaches are you're playing for, who the players on those teams are, what the environment's like in that university or that campus. And they get there and then they're unhappy. And that's, I think that's why we see so many people transfer is they're looking for that quick. Oh yeah. That's who I wanted to play for. That's the school name I'm in. And then they get there and they're unhappy. So do you, there's a very, very low percentage, very low percentage amount of players on our roster who weren't heavily recruited. You know, we, we don't see you play one time and then we're offering you a spot. We see you play one time. We want to see you play more. We'll play, see you play a handful of times. And then there's a process that we go through in the, in the communications leading up to you're applying your acceptance, the financial aid packaging. We get to know the parents through all that time and everything. And there's a, a lot of detail outside of baseball that we like to go through first to try to find as much information as we can to make sure that they fit in with the other type of players that we have in the program and the other type of families that we have in the program too, quite frankly. Do you feel like that's had success on the players you have coming in sticking through four years of, of Wittenberg baseball? Our retention's been abnormally good, honestly. Um, But I don't think that that's all on the coaching staff or the program itself. I think it has a lot to do with Wittenberg itself, too. Mm -hmm. Like Professors do a great job. The residence advisors do a great job. The administrators, the faculty, the staff, it's just in general, it's a great place. So even if I have a a time where a player might step away from the program, a lot of times they'll, they'll stay at Wittenberg. Okay. I love that. And and I think that's valuable too, because the the longer you can get people to stick around a program, the more they're going to start to to carry that culture that you're building forward and to build and give that to the next group that comes through. Because if you have guys who are always just transferring in and they're not buying in, they're not doing nightmares, no buying. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. Yeah. No, I was just, you know, I I like the subject of buy-in too or whatever. And, you know, I always, you know, how do you get the guys to buy in or whatever is, you know, kind of, it's really, there's no answer to it. I I think it's different for everyone for sure. It's right. Right. You know, but like, I just think uh, you have to have leaders, you know, at the top 
And if those guys are buying into what you're doing, then usually the, the rest of the guys will start to fall in suit. And if you have enough consistency in your program, um, and I'm not even talking wins and losses, I'm talking about how you treat your players, how you run your practices, how study halls are done, all that kind of stuff. Um, you get you get guys more accustomed to what's going on and they start buying in. So consistency is really important in yeah, leadership. For sure. No, absolutely. And, and the messaging, because kids, they're going to they're going to see through the BS. They're going to they're going to realize if you're saying one thing, doing another and you're offering one thing and you're doing another. Eventually, you're going to see that that cripple the the organizational structure. And like you said, you're not going to have leaders at the top who are pushing and pulling the other kids along and making the program as a whole better. And I think that's absolutely true. Kids are kids are smart, you know, and 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 they're not even kids anymore, really. When they get to us, they're on the the verge of adulthood, you know, right? So these guys are smart, and they they'll see right through the BS. You're right. Yeah. So I want to take you back to when you first got to Wittenberg. Tell mm-hmm. me about what it was that you started with when you wanted to to build the culture to be what it is today. Where did you start? What was the ground floor for you? <sighs> Eat nails, <laughs> eat nails. Uh, you know, I was a lot different my first year than I am now, but again, it's the pulse of the team. You know, we, we needed at the time, we just needed a lot of structure and a lot of discipline, accountability. Um, we really just needed to uh, put, put, put the program in a direction of things were changing, you know, um, I think there were a lot of great things that were done here by Jay Lewis, who was a phenomenal player here and then coached here for 20 years and is a friend of mine now um, and did a phenomenal job with, with, you know, the talent pieces that were in place and starting to get the guys to get a buy-in and and want to go into the right direction. There were some players uh, that had the right idea, but there were just a little – it was almost a divide, right? You know, it was almost a divide and we just had to get, get the team to not be divided anymore. It was one way or the other. So there was a lot of pushback from me at the beginning on the guys, high demands, high expectations, low tolerance for, you know, missing classes, being late to practice, not getting their lift in, you know, stuff like that. I was just really tough on them on just to, you know, put a concrete stamp on this is the, this is the new now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as we went, like I said, we, we developed a good, a good structure, a good platform for the guys to go off of. And we brought in players who wanted to buy in, wanted to be there, wanted to change the program, wanted to elevate uh, reputation of the, of the baseball team. And um, they were leaders and, over time, they proved themselves to the rest of the team, and then those started following them. Everyone was listening to the coaches and the captains and whatnot, or not even the captains, just the older guys. And then the program just started to run itself, and then I could, you know, loosen up the reins each and every year and, and let them see a little bit more of the truer side of me, I guess. Um, not that, that I hid that from them in the beginning, but – I certainly didn't go to bed every night, you know, always with a smile on my face, I guess. There were times where it was, you know, a tough day or whatever, but I knew it had to be done. Yeah, it's always it's always tougher in the beginning when you're building and it's a lot easier if you build that foundation and then let the pieces lead the way after. And I think that's 
the hardest thing when you're a new coach is where do I draw the line? How do I balance it? What do I, what do I really want to put my stamp on? And it sounds like you picked the right pieces because now you've got, I think a fantastic program going. You've got some good leadership pieces happening. Obviously I'm a little biased. I got a few guys that I've worked with who are, who are with you that I think are just fantastic kids. Um, but one of the things that caught my ear during that statement is you said you've changed over time. And I think that's such a valuable thing for coaches who are listening as well as players who are listening to understand that there's going to be an evolution in who you are. Can you speak to a little bit of how and what you've changed over time and maybe how it's maybe better you and, and some of the areas that maybe have been difficult for you to change? Yeah, well, I think, again, that first year, I just um, had the pulse of my team. Again, I, I coach a lot on the pulse of the team. So from year to year, it could be different. So I change a lot in, the, in those ways to, to do the best job that I can for that specific year. Um, so that year, like I said, I, I, I felt I had to be a lot tougher. Um, but over the course of my whole career from beginning to, to now, you know, I was just pissing vinegar at the beginning, man, you know, uh, my way or the highway, every umpire was wrong. You know, uh, I probably didn't give my players and coaching staff as much respect as I do now, you know, just some things like that, just kind of put myself on a different level. I, I, I was a head coach at a really young age, uh, which was awesome for me because now I think I'm so far ahead of a lot of, well, I shouldn't say that, but I, I feel like I'm a lot further ahead for myself than I would have been if I would have been an assistant for a long period. So that's been good. But um, my patience, um, the human element of the coaching, I had a tough time at the beginning where, I would just think it was a job, you know, that was my job, which it is, it, it, it's my job, but um, there would be separation, you know, there where, you know, I probably agitated the opposing coaches and stuff like that because I'm ultra competitive and coach with a lot of passion and energy and um, nothing's personal to anyone, you know, I never, but I think like I, I noticed over time, like, hey, um, I could be rubbing some people the wrong way. There is a certain level of professionalism. You need to take a step back and, and you know, evaluate yourself on that level, too. And there's some things I've done. But I'll tell you, Charles, you know, experience is certainly the recipe, the best recipe for any growth, I think. But I've surrounded myself some, with some really good people or they brought me into it. At least I've had some really good athletic directors and some really good mentors who, you know, have coached me along the way as I've coached and uh, even the assistant coaches, you know, that I have had along with me along the way, uh, great coaches who have been able and friends who've been able to help point some things out for me too. So just being open to that feedback as well. Yeah, I think that's I think that's one of the valuable things about having the right staff and the right people in place is the people who can come to you and tell you, hey, look, this piece of you needs to change because that's a difficult conversation. Nobody likes to have those confrontational moments with people, especially when you care about somebody. How do you balance giving a, a young man hard feedback? Because I think that's something that I think a lot of coaches struggle with, Yeah, you know, because you, you love the kid. You, you, you want it. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I just constant feedback, always honest, open, let them never have to have them come in your office. That's my goal is okay. like to never have them have to come into my office. And cause that's never good, man. They come into your office talking about playing time. It's never good. So 
I try to avoid that as much as I can by letting them know, <coughs> excuse me, where they stand at all times. And again, sharing with them how I feel about them, not only as a player, but as a person, I think helps them understand it's not a personal thing. Coach wants what's best for me. I just need to really look at, you know, how I'm performing, you know, it has nothing to do with anything else. So <coughs> I'm transparent with the guys. I'm honest with the guys always. So I never have an issue with it. It's, it's never easy, you know, to tell a kid like, Hey, you're not going to probably play, but you know, I'd, I'd rather talk to them, to them about it through the year than have to answer it at the end. So, yeah. So it sounds like you, you keep that open and constant communication with your boys to avoid having one of those moments later where you have to go, all right, here's the hard truth. This is where we're at. Cause I think if yeah. you keep it, if you keep it real with them, they have a better opportunity to one work their way into a position to do more or they accept it because, okay, this is, this is what he said. This is where we're at. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I'll get my shot eventually. And, and, and both of those outcomes are, are positive ones because they're not turning into a negative piece of the team or eating away at the, the emotional yeah. level of everybody else. Or on the flip side, if I'm in the wrong, I'll admit it and I'll man mm -hmm. up and I'll tell them I'm sorry too, you know? Yeah. I, I think that's another valuable piece that I've, the, the good coaches that I believe are building something strong and special aren't afraid to say when they're wrong, when they've made a mistake. And I think that's hard for a young coach because I'm sure when you were younger, would you ever tell a player that you were wrong? That was probably a much harder for me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think I think that's something we learn over time that, you know what, admitting a small wrongdoing doesn't mean you're an incompetent coach or that you don't know what you're doing or that you don't have a plan or these other things that go through people's minds of, well, I can't be wrong because I'm in charge. Yeah. It's okay to, to course correct. And I think that's a valuable part of this is the culture is going to be ever changing. The, the team's going to be constantly changing. You're going to have pieces that you're going to have to course correct with. So at times, something that may have worked before or may have been right before is now wrong. You know, we're, the game's changing. The yep. things around it are changing. So um, you take that you take the high road, you know, and if yeah. the guys see you taking the high road, then that, that again leads them to respecting you and trusting you and loving you more. And yeah. Makes those any conversations that come up around it easier. So so when you look at the, the ownership of the team and you're picking people to lead how do you go about choosing who's in charge of the, the captains and the leadership? Is that something that you do? Is that something you let the team do or yeah. how does that navigate for you? I don't know, Charles, what do you think I should do? Because <laughs> we've, we've done different things and I don't know. I mean, right now it's, it's a, it's a coaching decision and we try to go with, you know, some older guys that have been in the program, been in the trenches and understand it and us a little bit more, but, um, you know, we, we've had discussions as staff of other ways of, you know, doing team boats and doing a, 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 a captain for each class, a representative from each class. We've done, you know, we've talked about it all, but um, the way that we do it now is we just see the guys that have, you know, been able to contribute and not just from a statistical standpoint, but have contributed the most to the team and has looked as viewed by the rest of the members in our eyes as the leaders, those are the ones that we point to the most. Yeah. And I think that's a hard thing. Um, I used to think that the team vote was a way to go, but the more I think about the team vote aspect is you're, you're getting the popular kid on the team, the kid who 
either is the best player, which may yeah. not be the best leader. He just right. maybe they have more skill or they're more talented or whatever it may be. Right. And, and you lose the pieces of the leadership part that are the culture pieces that are the pieces that are more important when it comes to leadership are, this is the way we do things here. This is our team. And if you don't want to follow the, the plan that we have, as far as how our team operates, right. Then you got to go a different direction there. And, and I think that's one of the hardest pieces is when it comes to choosing captains is finding the people that are the leaders without necessarily always looking at the kid who's the starter. Yeah. Um, at one point in my career, it was a couple of years in a row where I didn't even name captains. I was just like, whoever's the leaders will step up anyways. Mm-hmm. And I went with that for a while and it didn't seem to change as much. You know, it was just, you just saw who were the guys that were going to step up, you know, which were the ones that you kind of thought would anyways. And even now, like we have captains, like I can remember specifically last year, there was a guy that wasn't named a captain and I thought he did an incredible job of leading the team. And in fact, maybe from a vocal standpoint, better than some of the captains we had on the, on the captain's you know, I think true leaders will lead. And if they're afraid to lead because there's not a name captain next to their name and they're not a true leader anyways, they'll probably, probably be named captain someday. So yeah. it all kind of comes to fruition, we think. And that's kind of how we go because of some things that we've discussed, just like you said. So we don't want it to be a popularity contest. We want it to be, hey, these guys are captains because everybody knows why we named them captains. Yeah. Uh, and I like the idea of that the leaders, the true leaders will step up and lead because I think that's true is, is, you know, if you're, if you're a strong leader, you're a strong personality, you're going to, you're going to find a way to hear, get your voice heard right. and you're going to do what's right. And, and I think that's a valuable piece to, I always hear that, oh, I'm too young to be a leader. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure you've had kids who come in as freshmen who aren't afraid to, to have their voice heard. I've heard, right. I'm sure you've had seniors who have been there for four or five years that, don't like to speak at all. I don't think the age is an important piece of this. I think it's how they view the the team that they're on and where their impact is going to be most heard. And and I think that's the piece that you're looking for when it comes to leadership. Right. So can you talk to me a little bit about a time where you felt like the culture that you were working with either currently or somewhere else before this, you felt it starting to slip away and maybe what you did to course correct during that time. Have you had a moment like that when in your coaching career where you felt like, man, if I don't figure this out, we're going to end up in the absolute wrong direction. Yeah. After every loss. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that does test the culture, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, man, I'm constantly, I'm a nut. I'm constantly again, thinking about what the guys are thinking, how they're feeling. Are they mad at us? You know, sometimes I'll use my assistant coaches as a way to reach back out to the guys, you know, hey, go play the good cop thing here, you know, or whatever. But again, you know, everything we do is for a purpose with the idea that that's what the guys need from a mental standpoint. Um, We don't do a lot of physical punishment at all. Something I don't really, guys are late on that running them. Like it's got to be a real team thing you know, and, and I've got to be really proven a point that, that that way they'll get it if it's physical, but, you know, mentally I'm always challenging myself and wondering how they're doing. So it's a constant roller coaster throughout the year. Any coach will tell you that, that, mm. that really has a lot that really cares for their program. You just, 
stressed out, you know, from, from beginning to end. And I don't even know if there's, there's any time in between those two, but um, you know, things that I've done in the past again is like, you know, use the assistant coach to like, okay, they're not wanting to hear from me right now. Let's hear from them. Um, or even if, you know, they're too high, you know, bring them back down to reality a little bit, you know, like the culture is really high and like, Hey, you know, the, the attitudes, the energy and the, the positivity and the confidence is at a real high. You don't want to diminish that, but you do want to keep them level-headed and focused and, you know, recenter them or whatever. So it goes both ways, but just being creative, you know, I like to get really creative with the guys and surprise them with, you know, pregame, I don't know, concerts, plays, okay. <laughs> events, just inspirational things that I like to do with them to, you know, calm them down, you know, get them to relax or, you know, pull them out of the gutter too. So yeah. we, we, myself and my staff are willing to extend, extend ourselves uh, to make sure the guys are in a good state of mind, quality of life, man, quality of life. Yeah, I love that. I think that that's a, a huge piece of, of really good programs is that they're looking for ways to connect with their players, not just in the sport, but in different ways and different avenues to keep them in a good space throughout the season, because it's a grind. I mean, I think personally, and again, I know all seasons have their ups and downs and all seasons are long, but from what I've watched and what I've experienced and the people I've talked to, you cram in a baseball season so many games and so much travel and so much time away from school mm-hmm. as a college baseball athlete more than any other sport. And it's, it's, it takes its toll. And so, you know, a lot of these kids, they're, they're not used to trying to do their studies on their own. They're not used to being gone from class on an afternoon and then having to come back and make up the work. And mm-hmm. I think there's a lot to being mentally there and mentally stable throughout the course of that season. Um, Speaking on mental stuff, and I think this just kind of came to me here because obviously the, the Olympics was just on, right? Did you get a chance to watch any of it? I didn't watch much. There was no. too much recruiting going on, but okay. I, yeah. I kind of paid attention and stuff. I know the United States meddled out as, yeah. as the winner. But, you know. Yeah, they got they got the silver. Um, Do you feel like kids Oh, they got the silver? Yeah, the, the U.S. got the silver. They lost to oh, Japan. Oh, see, that's how much I paid attention. The <laughs> last I saw, I thought it was about over. I thought they had the leading medal count. They did have the lead. No, no, they won the they won the medals, but the baseball oh, okay. team lost to lost to Japan in the final. Yes, 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 yeah. yes, yes, yes. Sorry, so, I thought we were talking about. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Do you feel like there's value in in young athletes watching the game at the high levels to see the College World Series, the the Olympics, the the professional level? Do they think that they should be tuning in from time to time to to, to learn from that, to grow from that? Yeah, I think there you can learn from anything, right? You you take the things out of it that you know can be applied to your situation uh, best, and but you know there's other things like the the professional game is so different than the college game, let alone the Division three game. So yeah, you know, I don't I don't want my guys playing like the way that the, the major league game is played right now. Like I don't believe in hitting the ball in the air. I don't believe in a strikeout's okay if you can hit the ball out of the park too. You know, like I, I don't. I don't believe in those things for our level. Like if they're at that level, then maybe their ability suits that style of play more. But yeah, I think there's certainly uh, a lot of things that they can take out of watching and learning and they should be trying to do that with, 
with anything, whether it's baseball or not. I, I love that you brought up the strikeouts because I actually just had a conversation about this and I said, where have we gone wrong in the pro game that we are okay with the fact that there's 280 something strikeouts and we're halfway through the season. Yeah. And there were players who had that in their careers mm-hmm. in the past. Like where are the guys who are just good at getting on base? So the guys who can hit yeah. the home runs can drive in some more. And yeah. I, I think that that's a huge piece you touched on is that when you watch the game, at the, especially at the pro level when you're younger, mm-hmm. what are you watching for? Like, what are you looking at? Because I agree. I, I, th- I don't think there's a reason for a 12-year-old to try to be hitting 40 home runs in a season. Hit line yeah. drives. And if you hit a home run, great. That's, that's awesome. Because yeah. odds are when you go to 14 or 15U and the, the fields get to be big boy size, yeah. you may not be hitting home runs anymore. And now you just Yeah, like when I was a kid, I used to try to imitate Daryl Strawberry. First of all, I'm 5'8". I'm right-handed hitter. And I, I didn't hit for that kind of power, but I was trying to emulate Daryl Strawberry swing all the time, which was, I probably should have been more like Brett Butler, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, uh, I, when, they, when they're watching, I think they're just watching as fans. That's what I hope most of them are doing is just, you know, enjoying the game and you can learn the rules and, you know, those kind of things, the intricacies and coverages and stuff like that. That's probably more or less what, what they should be, tuning into and, and less trying to emulate it, but I'm never going to tell him I got a son that's four. And if he's wanted to emulate Mike Trout or whatever, when he's a kid, I'm, I'm going to let him because that's what makes baseball fun, man. It's got to be fun first. And, I, and I'd rather have my kid emulating a bunch of hitters than not knowing who they are. I mean, sure. I, when I was growing up, I, I could do basically, you name a player, I could do their stance. I, I had Sammy <laughs> Sosa, sure. I had Mark McGuire, I could do Ken Griffey, and I was, you know, a right-handed hitter, it didn't matter. I could do them all. Like you said, Daryl yeah. Strawberry, I had Julio yeah. Franco with the goofy stance. And, <laughs> like, that was part of the fun. Like, yeah, you would, you would, you, you would stand off with your, you would stand off with your buddies. You'd be like, okay, who's this? Who's yeah. this? Like, okay. I got one. Who, who's this now? You know? Yeah. And, and I don't see that as much anymore. Like the, the, the joy of what makes baseball great and make it makes it such a cool sport and a fun sport is that joy of being an outdoor sport yeah. in the summertime with your buddies and yeah. just having fun. And I, and I want to see that come back for some of our kids. I think that it's turning into a, a recruitment process from 12 years on instead of a let's go play and have some fun. And that's where I, yeah. for me, watching the game is fun. I want yeah. my kids to watch, to enjoy the game. And like you mm-hmm. said, learn the coverages, know why they're going places. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you, I want to know what you do with your team right now to keep it fun, to keep it light. Like what are some of the things that you do throughout the season that might be like kind of maybe a little different, but at the end of the day, all the guys are laughing and smiling and they're like, okay, that was goofy, but that was fun. Yeah, uh, we do like little generic contests and stuff like that okay. every once in a while at the end of the game. Sometimes we call them like tiger tests or we'll do something off the cusp. Like last year, I, I remember we <laughs> broke the team into groups and inside the steamer we got that awesome facility in there 100 yard turf and these nets dropped down they got the field goals on them so everybody was kicking field goals and we were having like a field goal contest and stuff like that but like you know I'm really like uh, I try to be corny you know Mm -hmm. I'm 43 years old so I'm not I'm not way out of the loop but I'm far enough out of it that I'm probably not as cool as I think I am to the guys. So (laughs) I think they get a a joy out of me trying to be cool. And uh, coach Hemsworth, our full-time assistant recruiting coordinator, he is cool. So I I try to mimic him sometimes now instead of Daryl Strawberry to try to be the cool guy. But, 
you know, Wagner's cool on staff, our pitching coach, and Trey Richardson was alum there. And he's just a big – he's six foot eleven man. He can't miss him, but he's like a, just a big old teddy bear. The guys love him. Rick Gold, who's in the high school Hall of Fame, bench coach, is a great guy. And then Chris McKee, who just came over from Groveport, Madison, to help us out. We were able to pull him away from that program to help us out because another guy that I saw coaching out there with amazing energy and passion and love, love for his players. And uh, Coach Gold, same thing. Like I said, just a guy that just loves people and what, what makes him a good coach. So we got, we got a great staff who loves our guys and, and likes to have a good time with our guys. So I think that in general makes it a great environment, keeps it fun around there. Yeah. yeah I think the joy is important. And I always like watching from your, from your program is when you guys do the draft for the, uh, the fall ball stuff. Oh, yeah, that, that, draft. I love that. That's yeah, fun that's fun, right? That's fun. Stuff. Yeah, that's fun. That's and I think fun. that's, they all have a good time with it and it seems to be kind sure. of goofy and corny and yeah, they bought in, man. They bought yeah. into that. They bought into that. Yeah. It's been good. So yeah. about the, the COVID thing kind of shut it, shut it down a little bit last year. So we had to do it outside at the stadium. They were spread out, but the, uh, the school was great to allow us to still uh, do that within the safe protocols. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this year, maybe being able to get back to normalcy with. Them. Oh yeah, yeah. No, so I think I think that's one of the cool things with with the game of baseball and with, with what your program's doing is it's cool to hold people accountable. And I think it's hard to like a lot of leaders want to be stern all the time. And, and I love the fact that you you're open to the goofiness, you're open to the corniness, you want it to be fun while there's accountability. And I think that's the huge piece from what I'm getting from you is that when you love your guys and when you push them hard, they know why, but then you can come back and be like, look, all right, we're gonna have some fun today and, yeah. and bring them back down to earth. And I think that's th the whole point of all of this is, is how do we continue to move them forward as people while they learn to be competitive in an environment that they love? You know, like I used to be bothered by this when I first started coaching is like, um, I was coaching for a living and like people would be like, what do you, what do you do? You know, like, what do you do all day? Do you just have fun? And I, like, I used to hate that. Cause I used to think like, my job is so difficult. Like you don't know unless you're doing it, like what we really do. And you can never as a coach really answer like, well, what did you do today? And I like think, and I'm like, man, I was super busy, but I can't even tell you what I did because all I did was answer emails, answer phone calls, put out this fire, talk to this kid, talk to that parent, you know, order this stuff, do that, practice plans, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, like you can never really just explain to people. But anyways, I used to be bothered by the fact that people used to be like, you know, what do you do all day? You just like, but people have this impression, like I just walk around with a bucket of balls and, and throw and hit balls at people. Or like, then I started changing my mind. And I, you, going back to what we were talking about is I used to take pride and be like, yeah, you, I just have fun all day long. That's all I do is have fun. Because, you know, that's really what it is about, like you said. And that's I try to ground myself in that way and say, you know, like, this is my job. Again, like I was saying in the beginning, at the beginning, I'm too serious. And now I, I really am doing the job that I love to do, and it's fun for me. So why would I not want to make it fun, right? So I, I feel like it's it's critical to your success. It's got to be fun. I agree. I agree. And, and you're willing to put in the hard work when it's fun. And I think that's the big takeaway for this is, is people out there who are working jobs that they hate and there's no fun in the job. Yeah. They're going to be upset that you're, you get to be a coach. You get to hang out with the guys all day and you get to be on the field. And Bingo. 
Yeah. You're right about that. And, and that's the, that's the truth of it is, you know, if you're not happy doing what you're doing, find something that you're passionate about, yeah. make it fun, but put in the work. I mean, and that's yes. the key. Can you put in the work and make it fun? Cause that's where the success comes. So yep. um, what I want to do now is I want to leave you an opportunity for the people out there listening, coaches that might be listening that want to connect with you or uh, players that might be interested in the program and Wittenberg and what they're offering and, and, put out some information for how they can follow where you're at and what you're doing. Uh, if there's something you want to leave as far as uh, contact information for you or maybe a Twitter account that they can check out and follow uh, with, with some of the stuff that they can do to follow you. Sure. Uh, at wit baseball, which is W I T T baseball is the team account. Um, I help out with that account quite a bit. I have my own personal account account coach McGee 11. Um, but uh, the WIT baseball counts the one you would want to follow. That, that gives you everything with what we're doing, which obviously comes from this coaching staff too and the direction we're, we're putting the guys in, but also gives you, you know, a real sense of, you know, how those things are going within the team and gives you some live looks at the players themselves and the program itself. So I, I'd recommend that Twitter account. If you want to get a hold of me personally, I would say email, probably the easiest way to do it. So I have some time to get back to you and get some answers together. Um, but that's uh, my last name and first initial, my first name. So it's McGee B at Wittenberg.edu. And that's all E's in Wittenberg. People love to put a U in there at the end. But it's W-I-T-T-E-N-B-E-R-G.edu. All right. And I'll make sure I put that in the show notes so that they can have access to it and find that information. Um, but thank you so much for taking time with me today. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. And I, and I hope that uh, I get to see some fun stuff out of your uh, your team this year with the black and white. And then get to see you compete again, go after that title. Cause I think you guys are right there. So let's bring it home this time. All right. Thanks. We're going to just keep working really hard and just like to take a moment to thank Wittenberg university for giving me the opportunity to coach there. I uh, love that university, love Springfield. Uh, Brian Agler, our athletic director is a tremendous leader and is doing amazing things for the university over there. Associate AD Brett Billhart, uh, who played college baseball at Otterbein himself. Uh, being a baseball guy, it's great to work with him too, but uh, he's been kind of the rock as uh, things have been changing over the last couple of years. Those two guys are great administrators to be a part of, but to the faculty and staff too, uh, let's have a great year together. And guys, let's win it. That's right. As always, guys, keep reaching for the stars, fall flat on your face, but remember, whenever we fall, always get up. Thank you for joining us today on the Edge of Greatness podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and join us again next time as we continue to dig deeper into the key components of greatness. The path to greatness is never linear, so remember to keep pursuing greatness no matter what. Keep stretching your abilities, reach for the stars, and fall flat on your face. But no matter what happens, remember, whenever we fall, always get up. Until next time, I'm Charles Schultz, and this was the Edge of Greatness podcast. Greatness.